with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast. I am Chris McPherson, joined alongside Fran Duffy. And, uh, you know, you feel like it's not real football yet, but you sense that the 2018 season is getting closer because you're starting to hear the coaches uh, talk a little more about projecting players into positions for next season. The annual meeting is going on right now in Orlando, and, and you get a sense that it's like, the offseason's done with, the first wave of free agency's over, the draft is going to be here in, in about a month. It's like stuff is finally coming into picture, coming to fruition, so to speak. It is. It's, it's exciting times. And that's the, the one good thing about – the one good thing. The, one of uh, many things. One of yes. many good things. But the, the, when you play in the Super Bowl, it's like one more week, and it's like, all right, we're – we're going to 2018. I mean, you're, you're moving on to the next year very quickly, so it's all happening very fast. All right, on today's show, we're going to get to the latest news, a lot of Eagles-related nuggets in our draft buzz. Our Mr. Relevant is Kyle Krabs, who does a phenom- phenomenal job for NDT Scouting. He's going to talk about his draft guide, his prospectus, and we're going to talk about some of the prospects in the first round of the 2018 NFL Draft, and he has someone in mind for the Eagles, potentially a number 32 we're going to have our pick six, which are six draft prospects who remind us of current Eagles. And last but not least, your questions in our draft mailbag. So, Fran, let's get this rolling in Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, I like the Eagle-centric versions of Draft Buzz. You do? I do, yes. yes. I mean, it's, of course. it's I mean, what, yeah, what so. we know, but... Because uh, a lot of times it's the mock drafts and things of that nature. I mean, if you have a trade, like last week we got to go in-depth on the Jets-Colts trade, which was nice. But, you know, this time around we get some Eagles news. And the Eagles adding some speed at the wide receiver position with veteran Mike Wallace, who was with the Baltimore Ravens for the last two seasons. Still very, very productive in the league. He's been around for quite some time. You know, even Doug Peterson said, I, I think it's very sim- simplistic to just say, He's going to fill the Tory Smith role yep. this year. But let's be honest, even Doug Peterson at the annual meeting earlier today, in fact, said that that's the spot he's going to be competing at. No question. And when you see his explosive speed, which he still has, even though he's uh, been in this league now for a decade, uh, the guy can still run at a very high level. He could take the top off the defense. Uh, he's a very sudden route runner. He's got the ability to get in and out of breaks in a hurry. Uh, and he can he can hit those home runs, man. I mean, he, he's a home run threat. So uh, I think that the Eagles definitely found somebody that, that can stretch the field and be that kind of presence that Torrey Smith was a year ago. It's amazing how Carson Wentz is someone who, without actually doing any recruiting... He's a magnet. People want to come play for him. Mm-hmm. And Mike Wallace said that 99% of the reason that he's coming to Philadelphia for Carson Wentz. He feels that he's providing him the best chance to win. He wants to win at this point in his career. He yep. said he's made the money, he's gotten the accolades. It's time for him to get a ring, and he feels that Carson Wentz can do that. Now, speaking of Carson... Howard Roseman and Doug Pearson at the annual meeting saying that, hey, everything's going great right now with Carson. He's making progress. He's on track. You know, there's no timetable or anything of that nature. But we've seen the video of him throwing in the uh, the bubble here, the Novacare complex. I mean, it's, it's looking positive at this point. Nothing's certain, you know, for the summer or anything like that. But at least right now, all signs 
look good for Carson Wentz being able to make his return in 2018. Yeah, I think that's what this is going to be. This process is going to be. Right now, it looks good. Right now, it looks good. Until it's until it's good, it's going to be. Yeah. Right now, it looks good. So, uh, I'm excited to. I mean. It's going to be exhausting at times. Like in the su- I could already tell you, like it's going to be exhausting in the summer. We get to training camp daily and like updates. every other day, the daily updates on where, where Carson's at. What, what did he do today? How much? How far along is he? Everyone that talks is going to be asked. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be fun, and, and I'm excited to see him come back for sure. So, but in the spring, it's going to be Nick Foles and Nate Sudfeld. We're not going to see Carson Wentz on the field during the OTAs right. or these early mini camps. Speaking of Nick Foles. If a team wants him, it's going to cost a lot, bottom line. I mean, Doug Peterson has said that the team hasn't received any significant trade offers for Nick Foles. I mean, Nick's in a great position here in Philadelphia, and the Eagles are dealing from a position of strength where if they get a great deal, it's something they consider, certainly. But if not, they don't need to move him, and they know they have a tremendous insurance policy in Nick Foles who loves here in Philadelphia and is very comfortable in the scheme and is beloved by the by the players in the locker room. Yeah, there's no there's no urgency. It's not like we have to rush to try and you know make a deal. There there's no no situation like that. So, uh, like you said, the Eagles are in a very good position here. Uh, no need to force anything. Uh, some other notes from the annual meeting. Uh, a good question here that was asked. I, I honestly forgot who asked it, but uh, it was who will be this year's Nelson Aguilar, this year's hmm. breakout player. And Doug Pearson offered two players up front, one Sidney Jones. And the other, Matt Collins. Oh, I like it. And Sidney Jones, obvious reason is he basically had the red shirt year, even though he got to play in that regular season finale against Dallas. You know, second round pick a year ago, battled back from the Achilles injury. It was quite the talk of, of many debates on this podcast a year ago of, you know, how early would you take him? And, you know, we probably thought he would go later than the second round, but the Eagles obviously felt comfortable enough taking him there in the second round. And, and you know, hope to have that uh, faith in him rewarded this offseason. Doug said, Coach said that if he wants to be a starter, it's going to be up to him. The opportunity is there. It's for him to go take it. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to watch that. To me, like, I know everyone's going to be focused on the, the quarterbacks this summer. I can't wa- wait to watch the secondary and just how, how those guys compete day in and day out and, you know, who's going to be the starter on the outside, who's going to play on the inside. It's going to be something that's really, really fun to watch. Speaking of the inside, two players who came to mind initially from Coach Peterson, one, Jalen Mills moving inside, and the other, Darrell Worley, looking to replace Patrick Robinson's production from a year ago. Yeah, I mean, the, the if they have to line up and play a game tomorrow, someone's got to play in the slot. So, so looking at the what the roster is constructed at the moment, uh, those would be the two guys that I, I guess would, would make the most sense. You know, Jalen did it a little bit uh, this past year, depending on the opponent. We saw him do it in the playoffs against Atlanta and matched up against Julio Jones at times. So uh, it's going to be really interesting, like I said, to, to see how that plays out, both inside and outside in terms of this competition. Uh, I guess the only other nugget I would say coming out of the annual meeting from the Eagles' perspective, Darren Sproles, that the door is still open for a return. You know, there's some question about the depth at the running back position now that LeGarrette Blunt has signed with the Detroit Lions. You have Jay Ajayi coming back. The team's very high in Corey Clement. You know, Wendell Smallwood is still in the picture, and Coach Peterson said he's still high on him. I think there's going to be some question about whether they're going to add someone, and the question is you have Donnell Pumphrey, of course, coming back from his injury last season. So, you know, a lot of people, I think, thought that he would be the eventual – I don't think you ever replace a Darren Sproles, but someone to fill that role in 2018. So it's interesting that Sproles is still unsigned. Maybe that's not quite a surprise coming 
since he's coming off such a significant injury, the ACL. Um, but at least that the door is still open from an Eagles standpoint. Yeah, and I think that right now, like it's not like we play a game this week. Uh, they've they've got a few months. They still have the draft. There's a lot that still needs to happen with this roster, and so there there's no there's no you know that's what Doug kind of alluded to was. You know, it's not like over the last few years that, you know, Darren Sproles was at every OTA and every mini camp. I mean, the guy takes care of himself. So it's not like there's going to be like a panic. Oh, man, like you signed him on June 17th. Like, is he going to be ready? Yeah. There's no concern that Darren Sproles, if, he, if he's healthy, like he's going to be ready to play from a mental and, and physical standpoint. So, uh, yeah, I, there's no there's no right. I would say the same thing about like a Brent Selleck. Like, yes. if the if the situation reaches that point and they're not 100% healthy at any of these uh, – happy with any of these positions you're going to get into june july and you say you know what like like they did last year with Lagarde blunt late like they did with Corey graham well, late uh, yep. you know you, you bring those guys in and they can help the roster so I, I definitely think that um that door is obviously still open uh last thing here a non-eagles note here your thoughts on the uh, rams edi- adding and dominican sue to the roster i mean he's a, a guy that's obviously extremely strong at the point of attack and, and demands extra attention and when you've got aaron donald already there uh that's gonna be that's gonna be tough it's gonna make it tough now they don't have a lot off the edge right now they traded robert quinn mm-hmm. uh he was their best pass rusher I, I believe right now you're looking at like ethan westbrooks and like i don't even know who they've got coming off yeah. the edge right now so i mean that's that's going to be that's going to be the big thing. We'll see who they draft in this draft. I would imagine that a pass rusher could be on the docket. NFC is going to be very fascinating. Oh yeah, and fun to watch here in 2018. So, uh, any other notes from around the league from a? Well, the, Jets, the, the Giants traded uh, JPP to Tampa. After oh, we haven't, last year. We, we, haven't, haven't we haven't discussed that. that so, um, so I don't think this means like oh yeah they're going to take Bradley Chubb at two. I think what this does is is if the Giants don't get a play, if, let's say. The you know if they're in love with one of these quarterbacks, that seems to be like the 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 buzz right now is that the the Giants love Sam Darnold. They don't like any of the other quarterbacks. That seems to be like the buzz, right? Okay. So let's say they're unable to get Sam Darnold, then they'll trade out of the slot and they'll and they'll happily take either Quentin Nelson or Bradley Chubb and be good, or Saquon Barkley and be good. Um, and I think this just kind of opens it up for that. I do think though that they've got. I don't think there's a ton of urgency for them to make sure they get Bradley Chubb because you've got Olivier Vernon on one side. They signed Kareem Martin. I know he got he got suspended. I think did I see that? I think that I think that's what I saw. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, they signed Kareem Martin, who played for uh, James Betcher in Arizona and was a starter for James Betcher in Arizona. So I think that they've got got like if they needed to line up tomorrow, they could do it. Um, so I don't think it's like oh well yeah we need to draft a pass rusher right now, but. Mm. If they feel like Bradley Chubb is the guy and he's better than some of those other guys that are on the board for them, then maybe. But I, all I think is that it, this really just kind of still opens it up where it gives them another option to take if they trade down out of that slot. I, I just feel like when I first heard of the trade, I'm thinking more and more they would want to go quarterback at two because it's more of a long-term yeah. situation. They're set up for the long term. It, it wasn't to me, oh, now the door's open to get Bradley Chubb. I'm like, sure, is he in play? Yes, yeah, right. could very well be in play. But to me, I think if you're trying to win now – why wouldn't you try to keep JPP and add a Bradley Chubb? Yeah, you know, to the pass rush. So well, that's what I alluded to. The uh, I think it was Dan Patrick on his show this week said that um, he spoke with a scouting source. I think he said it was a former scout, someone who's tied to the league, who said that the the Giants love Sam Darnold, and that the Browns are doing what they can to try and get the Giants to trade up to number, number one, one, so that they could take Darnold, so that the Browns could then take Josh Allen. 
<laughs> There's a lot of moving and shaking going it's, on right now. <laughs> I, I, will tell, I, will tell, I mean, Fran, I mean, you love the draft. I love the draft. And, you know, I've been covering it for a number of years now. There is so much intrigue here at the top of the draft. I don't know if there's ever been this much. There may have been every year there's a player. You're waiting to see where he goes. But it seems like, and you know, maybe it's because we're still a month out. There's so much mystique and, and intrigue with regard as who's going to go where, just in the top five. Typically, you kind of have it set by this point, or yep. you feel pretty good about who's going to go in those first few spots. And you really don't know. You feel like you almost don't know from the very top. I yeah. mean, you feel like Sam Darnold should go number one, and maybe he'll go number one, but is it to which team at this point? So The whole uh, thing. I mean, we're, we'll do a mock draft episode in a few weeks, yes. um, which is always fun. I love doing that episode. But, I like, yeah, I, I agree because it seems like because all these teams, everybody at the top, it's like, they're saying one thing and then they're doing another. They say, which is what you expect this well, time of, of year. Um, but it just there's there's so many different ways it could go. There's so many, and especially when you get to the quarterback position, like there's so many different combinations that this thing could go. It's going to be really really fun to watch it play out. And the trade, you know, you, you feel right, like there's the so many more trades. That's right, and that's the other the thing that's thrown into a, that's thrown in for a loop is that you know we're having all these trades happen so early that we're not used to. Exactly. That's it's going to be interesting. All right, anything from a mock draft? Yeah, here? so we got six new ones from last last week. Six different players. Six different guys. Which is very – and that just goes to play, show about this draft. Yeah. Um, all right, so the most recent I pulled was from Chris Traprasso from uh, CBS Sports. Yep. Uh, Oregon tackle Tyrell Crosby. Okay. Um, powerful blocker, really good in the run game. Uh, I think that he's serviceable in pass pro, but really he, he makes his, – his bread and butter is the run game. He can move people up front. Uh, Charles Davis, our good friend from NFL Network. Iowa corner Josh Jackson. Uh, outstanding ball skills, probably the best ball skills of any of the corners in this draft. Um, does have some, uh, in terms of his athletic ability, I mean, he, this guy can hold up on the outside. Some people think he can slide on the inside as well. We've talked about how if they're going to take a corner up top, it's going to have to be a guy that can play inside yes. too. Um, John Ledyard from NDT Scouting, uh, who is a, a cohort of one of our, our future guests right now, Kyle Krabs. Uh, John has the Eagles taking Sony Michelle, a player that he's a big fan of. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see where Michelle ends up going. My guess is he'll end up being a day two pick, but uh, we will see. He's, a, he's an interesting player. And then Jason McIntyre from the big lead. Georgia offensive lineman Isaiah Wynn. I think he's a guard. Uh, played tackle this past year as a senior. I really like him on tape. Um, he, he's a guy that I think can impact the, both the pass and the run game. I, I love the way this kid plays. Uh, one of the stars of the Senior Bowl. Albert Breer from MMQB. Uh, Colorado corner Isaiah Oliver. Big oversized corner. My guess is it's probably like a best player available pick. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Oliver is a, is a slot guy, um, but that's where Br- Albert has us taken. And then Chad Reuter from NFL.com. Notre Dame left tackle Mike McGlinchey. The guy who I keep saying will not be there. At I will so. sprint down Broad Street. <laughs> and, well, I guess I'm not making the pick at the art museum this year, but sprint down and do it. Uh, I would love that selection of Mike McGlinchey, number 32. From a value standpoint, love absolutely, it. Love absolutely it. tremendous have it there. So uh, just talking about John Ledger from NDT Scouting. His cohort, as Fran said, is Kyle Krabs. He's going to join us next year. He is this week's Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. We're excited to bring you this week's Mr. Relevant and is none other than Kyle Krabs, the founder of NDT Scouting. You can follow him on Twitter at 
NDT Scouting. And Kyle, congratulations. You just finished up your draft guide, which is available now. You can tell fans where to get that at. And Kyle is also the draft analyst for Fan Rag Sports. So, Kyle, just talk about what it's like getting that book out the door and what, what can fans expect checking it out for the first time? Sure. Uh, well, thank you guys for having me first and foremost. And you know, as, as far as the, the book, it's entitled The Perspective. The, the draft prospectus, this is the fifth edition that I've done. And uh, I'll be darned if every year I don't finish it and I say, okay, great, i got a great template for next year, and then I add more to it anyway. So it's like a whole new labor all over again. Uh, this year's features 300 prospects and eligible for the 2018 NFL draft. Each one of these players gets put through uh, a pretty comprehensive film evaluation, and then I complement that with some metrics based in historical context of players that have gone through the draft process at their relative position. So I use it as checks and balances. So really try and paint a detail-oriented brush on all 300 prospects, uh, which you get as a player comparison from a player that's in the NFL for all 300 of these guys, uh, strengths and weaknesses, ideal role. So something I'm looking forward to talking with you guys here today, talking specifically about the Eagles, because I may have a guy on the board that I really like, but you look at the system that the Eagles run, and he might not be a great fit, so you can justify why that pick isn't made. So the, the context that this provides is one of my favorite things about it. So, Kyle, let's get to the Eagles. Do you have an ideal pick? Now, obviously, a lot has to happen. We have to wait for the 32nd overall selection, but is there a player who is going to be in that range who you think would be an ideal fit for the Eagles? Sure. Uh, I mean, we, we were getting ready to pick them linebackers, and they brought back Nigel, and uh, teams like Jason Peters might give it another go. And so it's they're a hard team to project because there's not a lot of immediate pressing needs on this roster. It just speaks to, to the ability of Howie Roseman and company to assemble this roster that they have. I really want to peg him Darius Geis from LSU, the running back. Uh, they let LeGarrette Blunt walk in free agency. Jay Ajayi's in the last year of his contract, and long-term dur- durability was one of the factors why the Dolphins parted with him. From what I understand, the Eagles really like Darius Geis. I think he'd be a great fit for that zone-style rushing attack. Uh, he's a nice blend of size, cut ability, and vision, just like Ajayi. He's not quite as long as Ajayi. He's more compact, and I think that allows him to run with a little bit of power. The question is, is he going to be there at 32? But if he is, that's the guy I'm putting my star next to and saying it's a home run pick. Kyle, one guy I want to ask you about is Connor Williams because I know he's a player that that you're really high on. And I think early in the process, I would say big draft, kind of thought he'd go top 10, top 12. Uh, Doesn't seem necessarily that could be the case. So, you know, anything can happen. I think now we're, we're kind of looking at him more on the back end of round one. If he were to be there at 32, why do you think Connor Williams would be a great, uh, great pick for the Eagles, and, and how do you think he would fit on this roster moving forward? Sure. Uh, I think one thing that Connor Williams does give you is flexibility and versatility. Uh, you know, Some people are, are really kind of down on him in offensive tackle because he measured in with 33-inch arms. Uh, it meets the baseline. You want to play him at tackle, fine. You want to play him inside at guard, uh, he's got the short area movement skills and the ability to steer defenders with his hands that he's going to be really effective there. Uh, so that's the appeal of Connor Williams. From what I understand, uh, the reason quote-unquote big draft got down on Connor is he his film this year wasn't as great. And obviously he had the knee injury that he had to, to deal with, but 
I thought he, he tested really well at the NFL Combine. If you look at his size-adjusted athletic testing, uh, it was a very, very strong showing relative to offensive tackles, not interior offensive linemen, offensive tackles. So for Connor and the Eagles, this is somebody that you can move him around as you want to to get him in the lineup early if you need him to be there. And then in the long term with Jason Peters in the twilight of his career, uh, my comp for Connor is Joe Staley. And San Francisco's had a lot of success at left tackle with Joe Staley. I think the way that they move and their spatial awareness and ability to control defenders at the point of attack is similar. And uh, I think Connor would be a great pick for those reasons. I'm going to stick along the offensive line. And while it doesn't seem like a very strong tackle draft this year, it seems like the interior O-line is really deep. How many players do you think could be selected in the first round? And I think the interior O-line is going to be more intriguing now that you look at Los Angeles adding in Dominican Sue to pair with Aaron Donald to give him that fearsome tandem. And you look here in Philadelphia with Fletcher Cox and Tim Jernigan man in the middle, uh, how critical and how important the interior of the offensive line is. Who are the guys who you think will end up being selected in the first round? There's, there's a couple wild cards here. Uh, one of them is Will Hernandez from UTEP. He's a scheme-specific guy. He's gap power purely, but a team like Jacksonville, I know they went out and, and signed an offensive guard from Carolina in free agency, but they may want to put the finishing touches on that roster, so he's a guy that may get the call at the end of round one. I think Isaiah Wynn from Georgia is a slam dunk to play guard. Uh, very safe prospect as far as the way that his his style of play and how it translates to the next level. Uh, he does have a shoulder issue, so that's something that we do need to be aware of. Obviously, Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame, one of the best three football players uh, that I've scouted in the last five years. Uh, I, I think he's an extremely clean transition to the next level, can fit in any kind of system. Because he's a universal fit, that's his true appeal. Uh, but obviously you want him driving guys off the line of scrimmage. And then at center, you got two guys in Billy Price uh, who may be a good fit somewhere like Minnesota, put him next to Pat Elfline, who he played in college with at Ohio State. And James Daniels from Iowa, who's pretty clean projection. Uh, he, he's really physical, and these Iowa offensive linemen always come out very technically sound. So you've got potentially five guys on the inside in the interior offensive line that could get their name called in round one. Kyle, let's take it over to the other side of the line of scrimmage and you look at the defensive line. I feel like one of the, the best small school players in this class is Nathan Shepard from Fort Hayes State. You know, he's a, uh, a really disruptive player on the inside. I think he projects pretty well, you know, whether he's a, a one-gap nose tackle or as a, as a three technique. When you watch Nathan Shepard, I know he's a guy that you're high on. How do you think that he would fit in kind of the Jim Schwartz aggressive defensive front? I know there's been some reported interest there in terms of the pro days and things like that. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on Nathan Shepard from Fort Hay State? Sure. I mean, there might not be a better story than what Shepard gives you. He's a guy that had to spend two years away from football, uh, was talked back into playing and played at the Division three level, came to the Senior Bowl, and just dominated anybody that they lined him up across from. Uh, in my notes here, my best trait for, for Shepard is his gap penetration skills, and his worst trait is his pad leverage at times. Even at the Division three level, had some issues when he was trying to stack up blocks. So this is a guy that I want playing forward into a gap. And if you think about what Jim Schwartz wants on defense, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, this is a really interesting player as far as a projection standpoint. 
where is a team going to value him? And obviously the level of competition is a big question, but that's why it was so big for him to come out and perform as strongly as he did at the NF or at the senior bowl, because it alleviated a lot of these questions of, yeah, he has great stats. He had 34 tackles for loss and 12 and a half sacks in 45 games. Uh, but can he do that against the top competition? Well, you saw him whipping up on Will Hernandez, who was one of the most popular players entering that week in one-on-one. So uh, Shepard's probably a guy that's going to get targeted sometime on day two. The big question for Philly is you don't have any capital in that area of the draft. So can you move and shake your way into a range if that's a player you want to target? Kyle, I think back to last year's draft, and Jared Davis, the linebacker of Florida, was a player who really wasn't discussed as a first-round selection until pretty late in the process. Is there a player who, in your mind, who is not getting enough attention at this point, who should be considered or should be, maybe in your estimation, should be a slam dunk first-round pick that maybe big draft, as Fran called it, is not talking about? That's an interesting question. I think there's a lot of there's, – there's more depth in this class than what I think it gets credit for. Um, I still haven't heard a lot, a lot, a lot of buzz around somebody like Taven Bryan, uh, the defensive tackle from Florida. The concerns with someone like him that are mentioned are he, he runs himself out of plays. And if you speak with anybody that's familiar with the Gators program, one of our former national scouts, Roger Dixon, played for two years on the Gators program uh, with that current coaching staff that was in place during the last couple of years, he said defensively they just told guys get to the mesh point. So if I'm uh, if I'm evaluating Taven Bryan's tape and I see yeah he's running five six yards into the backfield and out of plays, but he's being told get to the mesh point, don't sit down once you defeat your block. It makes me feel better about his projection because there's some context there that tells me he's not being coached to be worried about those sorts of things. So Taven Bryan, for me, if you're okay with a guy that's a little more raw, he doesn't have a ton of production, he doesn't have a ton of playing experience, but the physical traits are all there and check all the boxes that you want to see for a penetration-style player. He's pretty scheme-diverse. He can stack you up at the point of attack. He can pressure you, obviously. He was quick to get in the gaps. Uh, He's a player I really, really like that I think some people are going to be surprised at how early he gets in conversation. I think this is somebody that potentially could get some play, depending on if Vita Vey is gone, uh, at 20 to the Detroit Lions. So, Kyle, I guess on, on a similar topic, I know talking with guys that, that cover the draft around the country, everybody has like their couple guys, right? Like, then maybe they don't feel like they're going to be first round picks, but they definitely like them more than the consensus. I know you and I share one of those players in Fred Warner, the linebacker from BYU. Is there another guy that, you know, maybe he's not going to be a first round pick like Taven Bryan, but you feel like you're definitely higher on than most and feel like he's got a bright NFL future? Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I look at my big board, a guy like Anthony Miller from Memphis, the wide receiver, uh, didn't really get a chance to showcase himself a lot in the offseason circuit because of a foot injury. And, and the medicals are obviously a big question for him. But I was at two live games this year for Memphis. They were UCLA and Connecticut. And I'm not kidding when I tell you Anthony Miller had probably 30 catches for 500 yards and like seven touchdowns in those two games combined. So he made a really strong impression on me when I saw him in person. Uh, 
he can separate on the outside. He runs really crafty routes. He knows how to separate, uh, how to create false steps in the secondary. He's got some concentration drops, but his hands themselves are actually very strong. Uh, he's made some one-handed catches out away from his body. I think he can check a lot of boxes, and he gives you that versatility as far as your personnel groupings from a wide receiver perspective that he can line up inside, line up outside, and he's not a guy that defensive coordinators are going to be able to really key on when they're reading offensive personnel groups. So Anthony Miller's a guy for me that he's my second-rated wide receiver. I really love his game. I think he's got a ton of translatable traits to the next level. Kyle, my last question for you is this. We, Fran and I had discussion on last week's podcast about the teams that control the draft. And, you know, a lot of focus is on the Browns having two of the first five picks, you know, the Bills and what they're going to do after moving up uh, to try to get a quarterback. Is there a pick or a team maybe somewhere in the middle of the first round do you, that you think really could turn turn the draft on its head and, and really either start a run on a certain position or pop up as a surprise out of left field that will kind of, you know, put the other teams on their heels to, to kind of react very quickly. Do you sense anything along those lines? Yeah, if, I'm, if I survey the teams in this draft class, there's a couple of kind of wild cards in Arizona at 15 and Baltimore at 16 and Dallas at 19 and the Chargers are in that group. Those teams, they're hard to peg. So if I look at Arizona, I consistently get to Arizona and consistently the top four quarterbacks and all the mock drafts are off the board, and obviously they need long-term answer at quarterback. Sam Bradford's not going to be that guy for them. Uh, you, you consistently see Connor Williams mocked there. You see Lamar Jackson mocked there. Uh, you get to Baltimore. You know, are, are they a team that goes out and gets a wide receiver, whether it's D.J. Moore from Maryland, the guy who's right there in their backyard? Are they, they still going to go with the Alabama connection with Ozzie Newsom, the general manager there, and Calvin Ridley? So I think you could see kind of the start of a run, potential run in the, the middle of the first round on wide receivers if teams need a immediate starter at the wide receiver position. But there's a couple landmines there in the first round that it just really I don't have a great vibe on right now. So that's kind of the wild card in this draft order as we speak. Love it again, Kyle Krabs. You can follow him on Twitter at NDT Scouting, and make sure to go to NT, NDT Scouting to get the draft prospectus for the 2018 NFL Draft. Kyle, thank you very much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft Podcast. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, so this week's Pick 6, as we move along here, Six players in this draft class who remind us of current Eagles. And I'll take the first one. And this is one that I've seen a number of analysts make this. And, in fact, when you proposed the topic, you came up with this one right away. And that's Minka Fitzpatrick of Alabama and Malcolm Jenkins. Sure. And I'll start with the off-field stuff, the leadership standpoint. Malcolm Jenkins, one of the leaders in the locker room, you know, phenomenal role model for the community, just tremendous overall guy. Minka Fitzpatrick, apparently, is one of Nick Saban's all-time favorite guys. There was a report, I don't remember where it was from, where, I mean, Nick Saban is known as, like, very, you know, very businesslike and how he interacts with his players and he's the CEO. And he doesn't often, like, get really close with his players. Apparently, he's, like, he think, like he treats Minka Fitzpatrick like family. And, yeah. I mean, he came in day one and started in the second. Like, Nick Saban's baby is the secondary he came in and started at the most pivotal position and for Nick Saban in college football is the start like that slot position. That's super important at the college level. 
and he came in and started there day one. Like that tells you like how much confidence he's got in that kid. So they're going to be drafted around the same spots, yep. you know, early mid first round picks. Uh, Jenkins started his career at outside cornerback before moving to safety. Fitzpatrick is probably on a similar trajectory, depending on where he lands. Which, yep. yep, which defense utilizes him. So just from the leadership standpoint, from a play style standpoint, from the versatility across the board, this is probably one of the more popular ones you'll see in the draft class. Minka Fitzpatrick of Alabama and Eagle safety Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, that one, that one's a, a slam dunk. Um, I'm going to go on the other side of the ball and uh, a comparison I made last summer to Zach Ertz, uh, the Eagles Pro Bowl tight end, was Mike Gesicki. And a lot of people I talk to will say like, "Man, like well, Ertz is more athletic, isn't he?" And I'm like, "Yeah, like he's more athletic, but I still think Gesicki's like a good enough athlete." And then he went to the combine, and now everybody's making this comparison yep. of Mike Gesicki to Zach Ertz and. Ertz was a better blocker. Like we all know, like Ertz wasn't a great blocker coming from Stan. When he got to the NFL, like he was not a great blocker. Gasecki is even like he's even worse as a blocker than where Ertz was. So he's got to get better there, or else he's not going to be a three-down player. Um, but from a pass catching standpoint, I think they're very, very similar. I think Ertz may have been a little bit further along as a route runner as well. But in terms of like skill set, like mm-hmm. body type and movement, I think they're very similar. All right. So my next one. Uh, two linebackers here. Actually, the, my last two college players here are actually going to come from the same defense. And it's not just laziness. It's just how – I didn't even think about that part. Okay. Worked out. Okay. After, well, after I did the exercise, I was like, is it weird having two guys from the same defense? But nonetheless, so a linebacker who you liked a couple of years ago coming out of the draft, selected by the Eagles in the third round. He was – people remember. Remember we did a – was it a pick six where we had to pick like pick six guys that we, were, that we really hope the Eagles take? He's one of your guys. He was one of my guys. Jordan Hicks. Yes. Third round selection out of Texas. My comparison or my, you know, player in this year's draft class who reminds me of Jordan Hicks, Josie Jewell. I like this. Okay. And you've talked a lot about him on the podcast. I think Hicks is more athletic. I think that's going to be the differentiator. But both guys who are around the football, the question with Hicks wasn't the tape. It was could he stay healthy? And I think, I forget if you had talked to, to someone in personnel, but... Basically, you look at the tape, and it's, it's a first-round player. Yeah, It's just a matter of can the guy stay healthy, and to some extent, there's still questions to this right. day. Regarding I, think had, that. I think he had three season-ending injuries in four years in Texas. So, But you, when you look at the production standpoint, though, I'm just going to take their, their final years in college. Josie Jewell, 132 tackles, 13.5 tackles for loss. Jordan Hicks had 116 tackles, 13 tackles for loss. Jewell had four and a half sacks and two interceptions his last year at Iowa this past season. Jordan Hicks wrapped up his career at Texas with three and a half sacks and two interceptions. So, very similar production. Very, very similar production around the football, can play the mic position. So, I think Hicks is more athletic, but outside of that, I think, you know, trying to find a comparison, athletic comparison like here, I go with Jewel and with Jordan Hicks. I like that. Um, so, I'm going to go back to the secondary. You started with Malcolm Jenkins and Mika Fitzpatrick. I'm going to go with the Eagles' most recent third round pick in Razul Douglas. Uh, big corner, question the long speed, but he's got great ball skills. Um, and a corner in this draft that I think fits that is Tarvaris McFadden from Florida State, who a lot of people coming into the year, like if you had looked at mock drafts back in like July and August, Tarvaris McFadden was a top 15, top 10 pick for most people. Like I was, And there were questions about it. He gave up a ton of big plays in college. That was a big, big problem for him was that he gave up a lot of big plays in the ACC. Um, and not necessarily because of his speed, but more just because lapses in technique. 
But when you watch him, McFadden, there's questionable speed, and I think he, he did not run well at the combine at all. And as, it is, soon as, I, as soon as I saw the name McFadden, like, the yeah. first thing was like a 4.7. Yeah, I he ran. I'm pulling it up now. So he ran at, at the combine 4.6.7, four, um, okay. which was not good. Now, some of the other tests were, were okay. He, ran, he jumped like 38.5, which is a good number. And, you know, and he's big. He's long. He's like Razul in that way. Um, but his ball skills are very, very good, like really, really good. He had, uh, over the course of his career, eight picks, 16 pass breakups uh, in just two years as a starter. So um, the production was very, very good, especially in 2016. So uh, you look at them, I think that there are some similarities there. Um, I think that they'll probably get drafted in the same round. I think McFadden will probably be like a somewhere in that third, fourth-round mm-hmm. mix. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up going, but I think that there are some similarities there between those two. All right, I kind of hinted already as to who my third draft prospect is, and if you haven't figured it out already, it's a uh, cornerback Josh Jackson of Iowa, and my comparison is to Jalen Mills of the Philadelphia Eagles. The draft spot's going to be way different. Okay, Josh Jackson's going to be late first, early second round pick. Jalen Mills wasn't selected till the seventh round. Jalen Mills had some off the field concerns, injury. You know, his senior year. You know, some other things factored into that, but the draft, draft stock will be much different. But both players are very similar in terms of how they're very good at anticipating the routes, very good at, at playing the ball. Both, you know, Josh Jackson had eight interceptions, 27 pass breakups last season. Jalen Mills was a turnover machine consistently throughout his career at LSU. Um, I think there was some question about both players' willingness to tackle. I mean, Mills is a tough player, yep. but in terms of his technique and consistency, uh, Jackson, I think there's questions about Definitely. the same thing. Uh, both, we've seen with Mills even in the NFL, we, and this happened at Jackson at Iowa, susceptible to double moves, so something that both still have to work on. Uh, but from a size standpoint, very similar. Jalen was 6'0", 191 coming out. Uh, Jackson, just a shade over six foot, 196 pounds. The difference is Jalen Mills was a four-year starter at LSU, started as a true freshman. Josh Jackson was a receiver who was converted to cornerback uh, before hitting the big time there at Iowa. So my third comparison there, Jalen Mills, Josh Jackson. Uh, so my last one, and I can't take full credit for this, okay. but I'll take partial credit because I was there when it was made. Uh, so I was watching film with uh, one of my best friends, my friend Travis. He's an offensive coordinator at the college level, uh, the FCS from Morgan State. And we're watching, we're watching Ridley, Calvin Ridley from Alabama. And we're watching, we really like him. You, you like everything about the way that he plays. He's a really crafty route runner. You see that quickness in and out of breaks, his ability to create after the catch. And, and he's got the ability to be a downfield threat. Uh, a lot to like about Calvin Ridley. I'm watching, Travis goes, he reminds me a lot of Nelson. And I look at him, I kind of give him a sour glance, and I was like, I'm stealing that comparison. And it's pretty good because it's pretty good. I think, yeah. and I think you know, Ridley and Nelson, I think, share a lot of similar traits. Um, both have had issues with some drops. And Ridley cut some of those drops down this year as a junior compared to his sophomore year. Um, but I think when, when you look at what they're able to do, and I think Ridley can play inside and outside, I mentioned the, the physical skills. I, I think that he's got the ability um, to be a game-breaker both inside and outside. So, uh, yeah, from a physical standpoint, I, I think that I, I kind of like that comparison of Calvin Ridley and Nelson Aguilar. That's a good one there. I like that as well. I like that one. So there you have it. Pick six, six draft prospects who remind us of current Eagles. Last but not least, your questions in our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. 
All right, so for the draft mailbag in our 102nd episode of the Journey to Draft podcast, we're going to kick things off with not even a question. We're just going to give a shout-out. Got to give a shout-out. To Chris from SLC, who left a comment on Apple Podcasts with a five-star rating about how much he loves the podcast. So he could have easily gotten a question in there, but still, we're going to show him some love. Well, that's what we do. We guarantee that if you go and you leave a comment on there, you're going to get brought up on the show. So he went and left a comment. There we go. Got to give him the shout-out. He's famous now. There you go. We're just waiting now. We need someone who's like asking for like a date or something, you know, to be like. I don't know that we can help him out with that too much. We never know. (laughs) Lots of ladies listen to the Journey to Drive podcast. Yeah, (laughs) right. Okay, my wife is one of them. My wife is not. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. Not just in case she is. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprised by that. By that at all. Uh, Our first question here is from Arthur Curry fifty one who also left his question with a rating on Apple Podcasts. And what kind of players do we expect to be available for the Eagles uh, in the fourth round? So we're looking at day three because right now the Eagles don't have a day two selection. Uh, and which positions do you think that they could target? Well, in terms of positions, I think they're going to kind of let the board come to them. And when you get to that point in the draft, that's – I mean – Really, I, I think that's how you let the entire draft come to you. But the, especially when you get to the middle rounds, you're not going to say like, "All right, we need to go into the fourth round and we need to get uh, a corner and a safety." Like, no, you, you got to let it come to you and see because they're going to you're going to get you're picking at the end of the fourth round. There are going to be players available that the Eagles have second round grades on. That's just the that's the nature of how the draft works. Every team grades all these players differently. Um, you know, so is there going to be a running back there? Uh, that they feel really good about. Let's say that you know Kyle brought up the the idea of taking Darius Geis at 32. Let's say they don't get Darius Geis at 32, um, but then we're sitting there at the end of the fourth round and Nick Chubb happens to be there, or you know, like a uh, you know it could be a Sony Mich- Sony Michelle's probably not going to be there, but you know, the Kalen- fact that you and you know even throwing Kyle this love Nick huh. Chubb so much, there's going to be a team out there. That you would think, the same way. yeah, you would think. I mean, I love Nick Chubb, but I think the he's going to be a day two pick. Yeah, that's what the Titans always take on guys. Yeah, um, last year it was last year it was like a who's who of uh, all Fran Duffy team. Yeah. Um, you know, a Mark Walton from Miami is a player that I'm a big fan of. I think there's the, the running back group in that in that fourth, fifth round range. I think there's going to be some players there. The linebacker group. I, you know, you look at um, you know Jack Sitchie from Wisconsin and you know Darius Leonard. He's getting the kid from South Carolina State. I love him. He was great at the Senior Bowl. I watched the Senior Bowl game and he was all over the field. I'm seeing all this buzz that this kid's getting from like visits and pro- people that are at the pro day, and I'm like, oh man, like he's I, not gonna last. He's not gonna, <laughs> gonna last. Can I really like, I really like that kid a lot. Um, but you, you know, you think there's gonna be some linebackers there? I think there's gonna be some nickel corners. Like I, I love MJ Stewart from North Carolina. I love that kid. I think he's gonna be a great nickel corner. Um, DJ Reed from Kansas State. I just watched recently for the first time. He's my favorite nickel corner in the draft. And honestly, if I, if we're just going based. Purely off of like who my favorite players are, he's a top three corner for me. Like wow. in the draft, I, I love DJ Reed. Uh, it was the first time I watched him. I watched him like last week, and I was mm-hmm. like head over heels. Um, but he was another one. I was like, because this time of year, I like like looking around and seeing like, all right, who's getting a lot of buzz that I haven't watched yet in terms of like visits and pro day and stuff. Yeah. And I saw like, all right, Dan Quinn, Thomas Dimitrov, and Scott Pioli were all at the Kansas State pro day. I'm like, okay, I follow that one away. And then he's like, I'm like, all right, he's visiting a couple teams. He's visiting the Titans. Okay. They <laughs> they like guys. I like I was like, I gotta watch this kid. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched him and I was blown I was I really, really liked him. Yeah. He's just, he's gonna be a nickel corner because he's short, but he's got great ball skills. He's super competitive. I I loved him. So he's another guy, like he's there in the fourth round, like I'm racing. I'm right, I'm racing, I'm making that pick. 
<laughs> you're retired because you just got back, back from, from Mike McGlinchey. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our next question comes from our good friend at Eagles Troll the World, and he sees mocks with the Eagles taking the, an early offensive tackle. Uh, but notes we still have Jason Peters. Do you think we get a developmental guy later instead? This brings me back to something Kyle brought up with how the Eagles are tough to project because they don't have a lot of needs. And I think back to the infamous 2002 draft. And where it was the, infamous. Because the Eagles didn't have a cornerback need. They yep. Troy and Bobby, and they get Lito and Sheldon. And they also picked up Michael Lewis and Brian Westbrook from that draft. Worked out pretty well. It was a very, Probably very good. the best draft in the history of the team. Very good draft for them. Yeah. Arguably. So you look at this team now and use that same thinking. Jason Peters, yeah, you, you don't need an offensive tackle per se for 2018. But who is going to be – you need to start thinking who's going to be the guy down the line. You know, and you can do that with – you go down the roster and – you know, I've gone. I've been looking at other teams' rosters. Like, where's the age at? Where's the guy? You'd be like, oh, he's entrenched as a starter. But yeah, that's fine for 2018. But 2019, you may not need that guy today, but you're going to need him soon. So that's why offensive tackle wouldn't shock me. That's why McGlinchey, I think, would be a phenomenal pick. Well, that's why, like, the whole th- there is no universal board, right? Like, everybody like views t- players and, and prospects differently. So you know, if you took, and I, and people know this, like, if you took. Todd McShay, Mel Kuyper, Mike Mayock, Daniel Jeremiah, Josh Norris, Dane Brugler, Kyle Krabs, Joe Blow on their couch, whoever. You took them all and you put them in a room and you say, all right, we're drafting players. Those guys are all going to have a view of people differently. It's the same way with teams. So, you know, the Eagles are picking at 32. There's going to be a player. There, well, I shouldn't say there is. There may be a player there that they've got a top 15 grade on. And if there's a player there that they've got a top 15 grade on, they're going to pull the trigger and they're going to take them. Um, you know, for me... If Mike McGlinchey's there, I'm, ra- I'm like I said earlier, I'm racing down. I'm making that pick. If they don't view it that way, then they may trade out. If they or if they say, oh, you know, Mike McGlinchey's there, and Darius Geis is there, and Vita Vea is there, and uh, you know, Josh Jackson's there. I'm just throwing names out, and we have them all graded differently. We've got the ability to trade down six picks. Let's do it. Then they'll then they'll do that. Um, so I think that that's really where when this this all comes down to. And, and when you look at the offensive line in particular. Like for me, the guy that can't pass up on is McGlinchey. But after you get to that down to that point, depending on who else is on the board, you look at Tyrell Crosby, you look at Connor Williams. I think that those two are guys that I think you can make the argument for. And then you start getting the developmental guys, and now it's like, all right, well, Will Richardson from NC State, and you have Brandon Parker from North Carolina A and T, a guy I really like. Um, you know, everyone likes these athletic kids, uh, Colton Miller and Brian O'Neill, mm-hmm. Chuck Wuma Okorafor from Western Michigan's a big body. Joe Noteboom is Big V's former teammate at TCU. He's got ability. There's a lot of players. The, the, ta- the good thing is, is that I think that the, the tackle group and the offensive line group in general is just it's way better than last year's. The Eagles didn't pick an offensive lineman last year, and I think there's a good reason for that because the line group wasn't yeah. very good. Um, so I, I would be surprised if they came out and didn't have at least one uh, from this class. To me, and it's also, fans may say, well, just get a developmental guy later. I mean, there's a reason why certain guys start in the league for 10 years, because they were top talents coming out of college. Yep. So if I want that guy, I mean, look, Jeff Stallman's a great teacher, and I'm sure he's going to get the most out of the guys. And Big V, I thought, did a great job filling in for Jason Peters. Tough job. You know, you're filling in for a potential Hall of Famer who was playing at the top of his game in 2017. Yep. Filled in admirably and helped the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Maybe the Eagles view him as the long-term guy beyond, beyond Jason Pierce. Yep. That's a possibility. We don't know how they feel about him, but they may see a guy who's just 
he's too good to pass up. Yep. Let's get him in there. And Big V can still be your swing guy who could play both positions. So uh, how the Eagles view guys is going to be a big factor no question. in this as well. Our next question comes from at Frankie underscore CO713. Do you believe that the Eagles will trade back to obtain more picks in the draft, or will they stay with six? We kind of talked about that, yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Fran hit the nail on the head. And even going back to the annual meeting, Harry Roseman sort of made it sound like he's not looking to trade back at this point. So it's a little surprising to think of the Eagles having only six picks, but, you know, that could be the way it ends up working out. So. The Eagles need this is this is a very important draft this year and next year because the Eagles need the Eagles are gonna have to pay Carson Wentz sooner than later. And they're gonna have to to you know, make up for what he's gonna start earning from a salary cap standpoint, you're gonna have to subtract. And to do that, it's going to help to get younger guys into the pipeline. So, yeah, that's the the number one thing when these teams have had to pay their quarterback is you have got to draft well. Yeah. If you don't draft well, then then you you're going to be stuck. You've got to be able to draft well. So that's why it's you would hope to have more picks so that you have more you know lottery selection so to speak. But you know it's just going to be imperative for Howie, Joe Douglas, Andy Weidel, and, and the personnel guys to come up big once again this year. Uh, our last question comes from at Chase Culp on Twitter. How did the receiver from Iowa State, Alan Lazar, do this season? Uh, Fran, you said you liked him earlier in the year, but have heard nothing recently. Yeah, so Alan Lazard's a big body, and he's been on my radar for a while because when his freshman year, first of all, he was a big-time recruit. He's the first five-star recruit um, to ever sign at Iowa State, and he stayed there because uh, he's from Urbandale, uh, which is very close by. It's a, a suburb of Des Moines, Iowa. Um, he turned down offers from Notre Dame, Stanford, Nebraska. I mean, his, he had a lot of legit offers, but his dad was a captain at, at Iowa State. His brother played at Iowa State, so he decided to stay home. Uh, six five. He's two hundred, almost two hundred and thirty pounds. He was their punt returner early in his career. Like the guy for that size to be a punt returner, that's impressive. He's not going to be a punt returner in the NFL. Um, but you look at him and you say, all right, this guy is a, he's a big body who moves pretty well. He ran better than I think a lot of people thought he would. He ran in the mid four fives. That's pretty good yeah. for uh, for a guy that big um, at the combine. So uh, from a production standpoint, look, I mean, the guy had two hundred forty catches in his career. He was extremely productive. Uh, he's not going to be a deep threat. He's really good at the catch point. I kind of view him like a Marcus Colston type of player at the end of the day. Like I think he's going to be a big slot. Um, you know, some teams are going to view that differently. He could go somewhere and be Jordan Matthews yep. uh, and have a, you know ninety catches a year, or he could go somewhere and not catch those. You know, but he still be used in the same role. Yeah. So uh, look, I, I think that that's kind of the role that he plays at the next level. That'll be different for every team but um he is an intriguing player and i i'm 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 high on him because he's a a guy that's got great body control his ball skills are really natural i wish he was a little bit better as a route runner and that's something that i think he's got to get a little bit better at but um he is an intriguing player for sure well fran that's gonna do it for us and uh, i'm gonna cross my fingers because uh my kids are on spring break and i brought him in here and into the other we studio. We have no idea what the other studio is going to look like. And we don't. Room. And they have two of their friends with them. I really, I'm just hoping that Armageddon hasn't happened in the other studio. So let's wrap things up and yeah. uh, go check it out. So again, thanks to all of you who have left comments and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume our podcast. Special shout out to Brian Thomas, BT, for making things happen behind the glass. For Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. You've been listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast.